Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of In the Landscape. I'm your host, Kate Sadler, and with me in studio is co-host Charles Sadler. Good to be here. It is good (laughs) to be here. We are in studio for another episode on all things landscape design and care related, and we're actually returning to a favorite topic of ours uh, that was the theme for our very, very first episode, some 52 episodes ago. Mm -hmm. And so we've been at this for about a year. It's been very exciting. We're so grateful to anyone who's found us recently. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We always hope to provide a little bit of information that you can take into your own landscape, but also a little bit of entertainment. That's right. Keep it light in these these times. Absolutely. (laughs) More than ever. Yeah, um, hopefully you'll enjoy uh, tuning in week after week as we as we share on our experience in the landscape, but also share, pass on the experiences that some of the people we interact with have had. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely interested in telling the story of the landscape business and landscape as an art form, and then also telling the stories of the plants that are, you know, harmonizing in our various landscapes. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, not much on my end to report this week. Uh, you have had a busy week in the field, which we are here in Texas. It is hot. <laughs> I come from California originally where heat is not, you know, I'm no stranger to heat, but humidity, certainly. It's and been then, like around 100. And oh, I, yeah. And I've been working outside. And humid. <laughs> it's not those, a dry Some heat. of those days. And then getting into... And that's 100 Fahrenheit. <laughs> yes. Well, and then the sun is quite strong. I mean, it's not... We're not obviously at the equator just yet, but it's we're farther south than we were when we lived in New York. Right, it's the subtropics, so it's in. I mean, I remember being in Thailand and noticing during the middle of the day, people are not outside. I mean, mm. it's it's like that in Texas. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's intense. Yeah, when you step outside, you feel it on your skin where it's mm-hmm. like opening an oven. You're like, ooh, that's <laughs> that is something strong. <laughs> so you have to have a lot of sun protection here and a lot of critter protection. Uh, there's these bugs <laughs> and, and snakes, snakes too. I mean, yeah. I was tromping around. I mean, like a rural property, yeah. and I had my knee-high boots on. Oh, yeah. There's, I think, there's five kinds of snakes, oh. five kinds of poisonous snakes, and then there's one type that eats the other snakes. Oh, neat! That's really that, but but it's not poisonous to people. <laughs> I mean, we're no strangers to hiking and tromping around in the outdoors, obviously, or we'd be in the wrong business. But <laughs> there is something for having a healthy respect for the wildlife that's out there. I'm always sort of endlessly fascinated by places like Australia, where I think they go like, <laughs> they're like even more extreme in terms of like snake venom and stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. And so. the spider, the insects too. There's some type of a giant spider I know in Australia. Well, it's good to have a healthy respect for, for that wildlife because, you know, they're just going on about their business but and you're the one tromping through, but right. uh, they can pose a bit of a threat if you're not kind of mindful. Um, which is one of the great benefits of being outdoors is that mindfulness, that connection to the senses and mm-hmm. the smells too. Oh yeah, that like from one this one landscape I was in, there was a forested area. It was shady, humid. There was not air circulation, and then maybe uh, like a thousand feet away, it was also a forest, but it was like sandier. Mm-hmm. And there, as under the trees, there were some type of of, of a cactus, like a ground cover cactus, mm-hmm. growing on the forest floor 
and the smells was different. Lots mm-hmm. of cedar trees, like you're walk like you were walking into a cedar closet. Mm. <laughs> I remember we were on a hike once and we saw native cacti in New York. State right, correct. <laughs> at the top of a rocky outcropping. That might have been Hook Mountain, yeah. which is in like near right near Nyack. So you know, it's we always were big sort of travelers and and getting to see a lot of different landscapes has always been sort of, I mean, it's been a part of our kind of relationship and and Mm -hmm. my life and and your life independently. And it's been a change to be so localized for so long, but we're really getting to see, especially being new to the area, kind of like the, the granular differences in, in hill country versus the beachy areas here and stuff. So it's, it's been a nice way to kind of settle into our new home state. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So today's episode is about trees. And we've done two, as far as I can recall, I definitely don't go back and listen to all our episodes endlessly. <laughs> be a little bit strange. Um, I suppose I could. But um, our very first episode was the right tree. Mm-hmm. And we really focused on providing trees enough space to grow to their full potential. Mm-hmm. That something like these giant live oaks out here in, in Texas or the live oak native to California, that the the bowing of the branches as it gets so big, it kind of like leans toward the ground and reaches out. But there's something very special in planning ahead for that eventuality if yeah, like, you're in charge of planting them. Like a level of respect that it's well, like our toddler son. I mean, like knowing... There's a lot of fun to be had with them, mm. but there's like a limit. There's mm. going to be, maybe he's going to be up for three or four hours. Then he's going to start to get cranky, need a snack, need a nap. Mm-hmm. And so to go against that, I mean, it's like not very spiritual to think. Mm. And so with trees, it's, I would say culture, it often goes against a tree being what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a tree that wants to be, I was just on a property and I was, and I had a, had a measure the canopy and it was 80 or 90 feet. And these trees were under a hundred years old and, so, and live oaks. So they're going to get, they're going to keep growing wider. And so to go against that and to try to contain them, it's, I mean, it's just fighting nature, mm-hmm. you know, like if there's a coastline that's eroding or receding, that's like a fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to fight it, I guess my approach would be to try to work with nature. Mm-hmm. And so that selection that right tree is, is a quite a spiritual practice. What really is the right tree? Now, I might be in love with a certain tree, but it's not really appropriate. And it's, I mean, when I started out as a designer, I remember that. Mm. And selecting a tree it, that was really liked it a little wetter. And my boss, I remember, like he let me learn and make a mistake. He mm. said, that's probably going to be a little too dry. And then a year later, we had to replace it for the mm-hmm. client. Where we put something else in that was more suited Mm. But it still had, it was a service berry that I wanted to plant. It was a little too dry for that. And then we returned and planted a type of, uh, of an Asian dogwood that was tougher. Mm. And it had very similar characteristics of fruit, fall color. And so that was a, that was a valuable experience. <laughs> <laughs> so um, normally I encourage our listeners to go into our back catalog if they've joined us partway through and, and find some of these episodes. Our very first episode was a little rough, as they often are. So, you know. We had um, mics. I mean, they were, I guess, almost professional level. Yeah, but we were doing the best we could. So, <laughs> anyway, I just know that can be a little bit jarring. So, just fair warning if, if you do go back to listen to the Right Tree episode number one. 
we did a second episode on trees, but it focused on kind of the reasons to find and work with a professional arborist, somebody mm. who's been certified, or at a minimum, providing listeners with enough discernment to be working with somebody who's doing good tree work. Right. Um, that the certification process obviously is designed to help us assess that effectively if we're if we're on the hunt. But that there may be people who just have like a longstanding family business, they're doing good work. Right. And you want to be able to assess that proactively. So, so you could you could certainly listen to that episode as well. Today's episode is really just a deeper dive into trees. What are they? Um, how do we work with them in the landscape? As you said the basic sort of climate needs of a tree are important, but what are some of the aesthetic considerations when working with the plants that are not like ground level, like they're not bed plants, they're not hedging plants. They're the plants that are maybe up overhead or perhaps we're seeing them at a distance. And so kind of incorporating the design element a little more, but with something you're very familiar with. And then sort of finally, you're doing a lot, a lot of consulting arborist work lately on all different scales yeah some of it's like one visit to answer a certain need Mm -hmm. and then others are it's going on for weeks months and some of these will be maybe in perpetuity like right a very large situation whether it's public or private and Uh, so why would trees be so important that you would invest in a long-term relationship with a, a, a consulting arborist and what is what is what are you consulting on like what is that conversation about we have found it's here in Texas, especially as I was, you know, going on and on about the weather here. <laughs> trees are darned important because if you don't have a tree, you're just exposed to these elements. So I think we found love and appreciation for trees all over. But if you're like us and living in one of these hotter environments currently, maybe this resonates with you even more. But then again, trees are a part of food production from maple syrup to fruit and, you know, to pine nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, pesto. That's yeah. a great oh, mix man. with basil. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Olive oil. So what are the ways we sort of interact with trees in our landscape? And it's interesting because you pointed out, you know, my background is in classical music. So I'll hear a piece of music and I'll say, oh, that's the guitar playing the theme of the, <laughs> of the character in the show we like. Because I can hear it. I can just distinguish these days among the instruments, if, even if it's a dense work. And more and more, as I go into the landscape, learning more about the field, I can see differently. I, I think I always appreciated plants, but for many of us, it's just a wall of green. Like a tree is a tree. So how, mm-hmm. how, do, you, <laughs> how do you see trees in a way that's special and different? So where would you like to start? What would you like to say about trees being our tree expert? Well, let's see. Using one's memory and your own experiences, since I'm a tree lover and I love chatting with folks and traveling, I mean, people often confide an early memory, like a Mm. formative child memory. Like when I my time in Brooklyn, I remember people, so in in rural, rural areas, people certainly have a relationship with trees that's strong. I would say in cities, the people's relationship is very strong with trees because it's there's more built structure, there's more sidewalks, buildings, and so trees and parks, street trees, the tree out your apartment window, your out your office window. In, in a way, trees are great for people places. It makes a, 
that brings humanity mm -hmm. to people places. And so that's, and, you know, I worked at Lincoln Center for a number of years and one of the offices has these windows that look out on the, I want to say it's the Barclays Grove in oh, Lincoln Center. Oh, the London plane trees. Yes. And so it's a set of these trees. They're, they're kind of, I guess, planted down in the ground and then there's a layer of gravel over them. Right. So in the winter time, it is a little stark, to be honest. You know, I mean, everything's lit up. It's gorgeous. Sometimes there's snowfall, whatever. It's, it, it's like, you know, downtown or midtown Manhattan at its finest. But I remember, you know, as spring was starting to kind of creep up on us, I would stand in a friend's office and like look hard at the trees. And then as soon uh -huh. as you could see that blush of green, it was like, there it is. Uh. It's coming, you know. And then, and then, of course, in summer, they would provide shade and be bright and green and beautiful. So it really did enliven that concrete space, you know, which is so kind of monolithic and special and this like dedicated to, you know, the high art, performing arts. But the trees made a big impact in that space, even in the in the kind of interesting way that they were like all lined up and kind of on a grid and stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, that space is like Lincoln Center has been redesigned recently, but that's the architecture of that campus would be the international style, which was an architectural movement in the, in, the, in the mid 20th century. And so that period in landscape architecture, landscape history, the use of plants, I mean, just that term plant material. And so it's not even really dignifying it like it's a tree. It's like a material, like, mm. like a light post. And so in modernism, I mean, the plants are this sculptural sort of simplistic monolithic element like you just described and so i mean the other extreme where one like a current term is like rewilding so creating landscapes in built environments where you're sort of mimicking a wild landscape which is the opposite of that modernism and so they're both you know it's personal preference but i guess in either case that resonant it's like a living breathing thing that's constantly changing mm -hmm. and even if the leaf is not changing the sunlight the way it heads it and then it, it gets it's there's a spiritual resonance that i think affects everybody if everybody stopped and paused in front of a tree you would have some kind of experience now not everybody would would take that moment but when that's pointed out or like the sycamore when it for the leaves first come out and there's ones in our area here along this local canal they're very fuzzy when they're young and so just having that moment i do that with our son where we touch the leaf there's at the various stages of its development so trees do provide some sort of deep connection to our landscape maybe even dare i say like more so than flowering plants and even shrubs because there's such a gravity to trees there's so much mm -hmm. age in a lot of trees that it's just this sense that you know, it's been there a very long time and it's had an opportunity to really root into the earth in a way that, that even the flowering plants and stuff don't. So, you know, getting to go on vacation to see trees, whether it's the um, Muir Woods, the Redwoods and Muir mm -hmm. Woods in, in the Bay Area or the Sequoia, Kings Canyon National National Park, which is farther south in California. I mean, you're just with these it's almost like <laughs> defies, you know, imagination that a, that a living being could be that, you know, profound. There's a sense of gravity yeah. that you can't, I mean, being in a built 
structure like a, a holy place, which is a, a cathedral, a mosque, another institution, temple. I mean, there's something that's done with such intent. Mm-hmm. And so trees, I mean, I would say they, that, that they surpass that, that there's just a resonance. Now, one group of trees that you mentioned during our research project that I would love to go see someday are the Joshua trees in Joshua Tree oh, National right. Forest, I think it is. It might, I don't think it's a park. I think it's a national forest, but you're always welcome to submit corrections. <laughs> we love that. But as you, we were researching, you pointed out the fact that they're not, they're not in the family group. I don't know which scientific classification they start to diverge, you know, Love what layer of classification they start to diverge from what we think of as trees, but they're not trees. Oh, right. They're tree-shaped agave. Right. So this is a good, uh, this is University of Miami, and there's an arboretum there. And so there's, they had a good description of what is a tree. Mm. And, and they go through lots of examples. So I'll read some of them. So it starts off with palms are monocots. So there's monocots and dicots. Uh, palms are monocots, but so are grasses, aloes, and lilies, which we do not usually think of as trees. Yet, some species within those groups should arguably be included as trees, quote-unquote, given their large size. Those include Joshua trees, which is yucca brevophilia, and then it goes on to list other ones, too. There's certain kinds of what's called larger screw pine, which is actually not a pine. So some of these woody plants, there are included that, I think what's are also monocots would be banana trees. There are tree ferns. So there's many plants. If a child looked at it, they would say, that's a tree. And so, so is the woodiness what really helps it become a tree? Because you need that structure in order to get the scale that we think of in terms of trees? Well, that term uh, lignin, so that's a material that's in plants that can get taller. So it'd be like a, before there was steel, buildings could only grow so tall. Maybe six stories, eight stories. To have a hundred story building, you couldn't do that out of brick. I mean, I, as my understanding. <laughs> so generally trees are plants which, which do which have lignin. Some of the ones, like if you, if you cut a palm tree open, there are not, it's, it's like fleshy and pulpy. So it doesn't have rings like a like a sugar maple would and that would be true for some of these others too like a yucca would be similar so it's in some cases they're they continue to get taller the trunk doesn't get that much larger if you think of a palm tree and palm trees quite a bit yes right and the trunk the outside if that gets damaged it may never recover oh that's helpful to know see that is helpful to know because there are a lot of cases where what we're being called in about is is damage or you know root systems like are we going to how much disturbance can a root system take before the tree is going to fail because of their gravity? It almost feels like trees should be indestructible, but they're not. They really do suffer a lot from some of the activities that take place around them. Right. They're very, the roots are very sensitive. It's very deceptive. So the, you think of a, of an icon of a tree in a, like a idealized version, there's the canopy, let's say mm-hmm. it's an old oak tree and then the roots are often depicted as going as deep as the top of the tree does, mm-hmm. which is generally incorrect. Oh. So the roots, if you think most people know what a wine glass looks like, that's a pretty accurate visual of what a tree is, where the roots are like a pancake, more or less, and they, 
there's exceptions, but that first 18 inches down, that's like the extent of many trees. And so when machinery, you do construction or the workers park their pickup trucks around your favorite tree, so that's doing a lot of damage. And it's and then once it's once the soil particles are compacted, like you think of a jar full of marbles, there's lots of air between the marbles. So imagine that's the same with soil. And so once that soil's compacted and you lose those air particles, it's generally not coming back. And then there's no like the roots more or less suffocate. There's no, they can't exchange gases. And that 18 inches is very, and that's a pretty tiny area. Even for a tree that could be 90 feet wide, it's still that first 18 inches is. So to protect that during construction, and that's what I've gotten involved with in some projects where doing pre-planning for installation of a pool or if there's roads or other buildings. Or even entire buildings. They're sometimes, you know, constructed around a tree so that the tree right. itself can stay in place. So one of the visuals that is prevalent here in Texas, also when I lived out in California, where there there are a fair number of like ranches out there as well, mm-hmm. is that it's a single tree in the middle of a giant field and all the cows are under it. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so is that naturally occurring or are trees inclined to grow together in groups and does this does that so we've talked about kind of allowing each individual tree its own shape is there something to be said for the like the ecosystem we're creating if we give over a little extra space in the yard to groupings of trees or is that too ambitious and then what can we plant in the understory can you have a big tree and then smaller trees under the big tree. So I'm not talking like just shrubs or even perennials and beds. Right. So that's very beneficial. So that, that landscape, it's like, a, I'm, I'm going to guess it's a grazing landscape. So wouldn't a, if the grasses weren't being grazed, so that, that singular tree that's it's like sort of bucolic, romantic vision, which you see when you get in the country in Texas, to some extent, that's because the animals are eating the grass. So if they weren't doing, and sometimes you'll see, like there's areas of ranches that are like the neighborhood we live in, this used to be a ranch, I think, before it was a development. And so when you see areas that are no longer being grazed, this sort of scrub brush is the first thing that comes in that might grow to like 10 feet or so. Mm -hmm. So what you're describing, there's a term permaculture. So plants have these mutually beneficial relationships. So planting a shade tree, an understory tree, shrubs, perennials, grasses, those, if they're adapted to each other over thousands or, you know, or even longer periods of time can be very beneficial. So it's that singular tree planted in a, in a new development where there's almost no topsoil, the soil's compacted, that could be a little austere. So the, the plants, there's uh, the book I I believe it's the secret life of trees. And then there's lots of literature, how trees will, the roots communicate with each other. So the roots are often inter- intertwined. So if an insect, let's say it's like a three acre forest of beech trees, and one tree starts to get in, an infestation of a certain insect is eating its leaves. So there are studies to show that tree may release more or less like a pheromone, something in the air, which other trees could detect. and I think there's studies that also show 
it will communicate through its roots with the other trees. And then the other trees, there's evidence, will begin to produce a toxin, which will repel those insects when those insects get to that tree. Hmm. So there's quite a, so when you plant just that singular tree and there's grass all around it, that's often pretty far on how a tree would actually grow. So having trees in, like in community and plants like that are planted cheek by jowl is the expression that plants like to be, they shade each other in a garden setting when, when one plant is sort of fading Another plant can take over like during the season. And so, and then even over the lifespan, like the call I had the other day with a client, it was a garden we designed several years ago, I think at least, maybe more. So some of the plants now need to be divided. They've flourished. And so that's like a normal process. In in nature, there might be dieback. So something else would start out strong. Maybe it'd be a shrub that would grow up very quickly, like those and then the, like in a Texas landscape, you have sh- uh, scrubby shrubs that would grow up to about 10 feet and then sort of max out. And maybe that's there for like a decade while those oak trees are getting up to the height of the shrub. And there's, there's wind protection and, and they sort of watch out for each other. But you did recently have a conversation about a tree that seems to be losing uh the battle of the competition of plants. I know you were talking about like perennials that are sometimes bullies. Can that impact trees once you plant? Like, can you kind of go too far in the other direction and then you've actually made it harder for the tree itself? Oh, right. The, that one landscape, it was the tree that we planted was a conifer that likes to grow at higher elevations and doesn't like it particularly wet. And so there was, it turned out there was more irrigation that was needed. And so it was a combination of the tree getting too much water. Now, when, during that first year, it needed a fair amount. But then as years go by, we always, you know, consult and suggest, you know, make sure the irrigation is turned down or sometimes even turned off after the first year or two. But sometimes that doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, that's like a, a pretty big misperception, I'd say, that like more, if some water is good, more must be better. Mm. And that's not the case usually. <laughs> uh, and so in this case, the, those understory shrubs really took off and the tree for various reasons, the soil was poor, even though it was amended, there's just a limit sometimes to how much you can change the soil. And that, that tree really didn't do anything for mm-hmm. three or four years. It just, mm-hmm. it was, and the other plants overtook it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is the solution then to pull the tree out or would you transplant it? Or like, when do you give up on a tree? Yeah, in this case, I think the tree, it's like failed, basically. It's failed enough where you just remove it. And so in retrospect, we could have allowed more space. When it was planted, there was plenty of space. And so I was anticipating it would take off, and it Mm -hmm. didn't. And that is the difficult balance when you're doing design for clients, especially because you you want to deliver enough of an impact so that they don't, I mean... (laughs) You can't just say like, well, it's barren because we want to let this tree get established. I mean, you can, like if you have, if they have enough time and, and kind of understand why you're doing what you're doing. But, you know, in a lot of cases, there is this interplay between how much you're filling in the space and then what is reasonable for like a plant, ideally, as we said at the top of the episode, to just fulfill its destiny. So it's hard, you know, it's a balance ultimately. And there was a nearby conifer that was doing very well. Mm. And so this particular plant, there are 
tried and true plants used in the landscape trade. And they're often like not native or visually they're appealing, Mm -hmm. but ecologically they're not the greatest. And so in this case, the tree that failed, it was one that it was ecologically beneficial. It was native. It didn't fare that well. So, I mean, unfortunately it's, so it doesn't mean don't try natives. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do the right thing. I mean, it's somewhat like the survival of the fittest. What's in the landscape trade can be plants that can be detrimental. They can be invasive. That, I mean, that, like they are tough. And so trying something else, it's, I guess, like live and learn, you know? So we, we try something different. It didn't thrive. Something adjacent to it. That's also a native. And so that would, it would, that, the one that, that is thriving would be a good replacement, not to replace the one that didn't work. So are there rules of thumb when you're planting a, groups of trees or types of trees together? You mentioned that these were conifers. Even in a forest, it may at first glance look like it's all the same type of tree together, but it's not. It's quite a, quite a variety in a lot of mm-hmm. cases, unless they're growing paper and it's a monoculture <laughs> or something. But how do you kind of develop that aesthetic in your own landscape? I guess when I start, like you told me today, I was working in my sketchbook, which when we have a weekend day, it's nice to, to pause, let the dust settle. <laughs> so I'm often thinking, I mean, as an arborist and a designer, I'm thinking of the structure first. So what structure do we want? Something that's tall and narrow for screening. I'm thinking of the structure, like what would be the ideal shape? And then with my interest in trees and knowledge, then I, so the ideal shape is what I, come up with first and then that goes through the filter what tree would have those would be the ideal shape and then maybe the characteristics and so i often draw the shape i'm imagining and so in this particular case it was a property we wanted to create this naturalistic screening so when the client pulls in their driveway i think there was like a utility tower way in the distance i mean it's 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 a suburban wooded forested area but there's, and so this upright conifer that failed, it was to screen this uh, utility tower. And so there's shapes that would do that. So it's, so the program was to screen it, something that's going to grow upright. It doesn't have to be really that wide and to grow pretty fast. And so that's how I came down to that, you know, to that conifer. Nice. Now, there are some labor intensive practices that go along with trees. I mean, there are pruning practices that achieve a certain aesthetic. I'm thinking of uh, like when you're in France, the trees are pruned into almost like an aerial hedge is a term you've used a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something that is popular with residential clients or like, when would you, when would you go all in for something like that? Or even espalier, which we get a lot of interest about. How is that useful? The way we've described it so far is again, selecting trees and then allowing them to kind of like take on their natural shape. But there are really deliberate uses when you would counter that entirely. So Mm -hmm. can you describe some of that? The educated pruning, so horticultural pruning or the proper pruning. I'm reading a book now by uh, Bill Logan. And so he wrote a book, I think it's called Sprout Land. And he's a New York City arborist and and a very accomplished author. And so it talks about the history of various types of pruning, pollarding. So pollarding is when you reduce the height of a tree. And so you see it throughout Europe, like for willow trees in the Netherlands and Belgium and France, 
where they're cutting the willow tree in its youth to six, seven, eight feet, which you could reach. And then that severe pruning, but in its youth, it can, it can adapt to that. And then it produces all these whips or foliage. And so if it's done with intention, when the plant is from when it is young, it's perfectly adapted to it. And there's examples. So it could seem like, oh, that's cruel or like cruel and unusual punishment. Actually, no. The, the, now, if it's done when the tree is mature, I would agree. That's like people do that with crepe myrtles here in the southern U.S. It can be done where it is detrimental and it produces a lot of stress. If it's done from the plant's youth, the tree adapts to it. And there's cases where the trees live much longer than they normally would live many hundreds like many centuries and so why would that be well they're able to photosynthesize and so any defects that would that you would get with old age it doesn't really have it just has a trunk and then it's able to photosynthesize and so in a designed landscape occasionally this type of pruning really would fulfill the program like uh this historic estate that we worked on i remember it was a main house, very historic, you know, legendary architecture. They added on to it, and so it didn't feel balanced. And so we put a linden tree in, in each corner, and so that linden tree would normally become too big. It, that would get to be 80 feet tall and 40 feet wide. But it, I think we probably started with like a five-inch caliper, so it was, which is a pretty big tree. And so if that's pruned throughout its life from, from that age, it's more or less going to be like a hedge. And it's what produces shade, interest, fall color. In June, there's the beautiful fragrant flowers. And so that's perfectly sustainable. It's going to be more or less pruned like, like an upright hedge. And if you do it consistently, it can fulfill the program of a tree in this sort of confined space where, I mean, this home I think it was at least three stories, maybe three and a half stories, and it overlooked you know, like a vista. So a shrub really wouldn't have a three and a half story home. I mean, that's 35 feet tall. So a shrub is not going to have that impact. And it might take decades and decades to get there. With this tree, within a short period of time, it could add beauty and sort of like a resonance with the architecture. All right, so we're sort of coming to the end of this episode, certainly not the end of the topic. There's always more that could be said. We welcome listener questions. Um, you can always reach us through our website or any of our social media platforms if you have any anything to add or any specific questions about trees that we can answer in future episodes. Uh, they sort of provide a source of endless fascination, and there's such rich variety that there's more, I'm sure, to be said. So. Anything else to say before we wrap up this episode? There's been good literature on uh, both American Society of Landscape Architects, and I also came across the Chicago Botanic Garden is written on the subject of trees for 2050. Oh, yeah. And so both of those, you can look up American Society of Landscape Architects or Chicago Botanic Garden. And there's, I think other institutions have, I mean, the title is Urban Forest Adaptive Planting List. So trees as... Climate gets, some areas are getting wetter, some are getting drier, it's generally getting warmer. And so it's a list of trees that, if they're planted now, will be well-suited to the weather in 2050 and beyond. And so without that sort of foresight, there's going to be trees that are going to decline. 
Yeah, so those are great resources. All right, so we thought we'd do something a little different this episode. You love <laughs> to do a design principle, and hopefully um, folks have found a good use for those or at least researched them further. But we thought maybe for this episode, we do kind of like a horticultural principle. So do you right. have one to share with us? Right, start like a new tradition. Because, <laughs> I mean, there are, like you said, there's a limit. There's like maybe <laughs> like a dozen out. design principles, so it's sort of the same ones over and over. Yeah, so we'll try to come up with some fresh material. Well, an innovation... Dr. Ed Gilman, University of Florida, and others, Jim Urban, who is a landscape architect and an also certified arborist, I believe, who he was involved in that Lincoln Center. Oh, there you go. Uh, he was like the consultant uh, for that, those, that, that grove of trees. Mm. So a concept that's really important and really simple, you know, like when someone says, oh, I need to write it down or I'm going to forget it, or, or they always put their keys in the same spot when they come in because it's, then I don't have to remember where I put them or your phone. And so the simple principle is to prune a tree, provide basic structural pruning. So you're removing defects like crossing branches, rubbing branches. When the tree comes from the nursery, it's been produced to sell. And so to look full and bushy and that there might be an excess of branches and there might be defects that when the tree gets when it grows exponentially, those minor defects can be can cause a catastrophic failure because those those six crossing branches in twenty years it goes from like the size of a pencil to the size of like of my waist, you know, each branch. And so that pruning at planting and there's great guidelines for that. If you look up Dr. Ed Gilman, University of Florida, and others, and so the principle when you plant. You look at the at the tree, even with some bigger trees, when the crews are taking them off of the truck, we lay the tree down. So it, like the size, we often plant pretty large trees where I, I can't reach the top of the tree without a ladder. But at planting time, you can lay the tree down and prune out any defects, crossing branches, because human nature would have it. Now to prune the principle, we used to be, oh, after a year, it's gotten established, then prune it. People, nobody ever remembers. I don't remember to do that. But when you plant it, it's, you know, this critical group of people. Everyone's there watering. And so whether it's a street tree for your neighborhood or a campus or, or a home, it's just a simple step. And it's when I, I do it myself often, it might only take 10 minutes, you know, for, for an average size tree. Those defects that were removed, the tree will, is more likely to live a long, successful life just from that very simple intervention. Great. Well, this is, as I said, one of our favorite topics, so I'm sure we'll return to it. Thank you so much for listening this week, and we look forward to coming up with another landscape idea topic for, for you for next week. Feel free to reach out to us, and until then, we hope you have an opportunity to visit with your landscape sometime soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. 
Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.